Well, uh, you know, Father's Day is a great day, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. I'd like to, first of all, say um, thank you to the Lord publicly for my father. Uh, I had a great Christian dad, and uh, I think I'm not going to read the verse, but most of you are familiar with it. There's a place there in the Psalms where David is talking about the Lord, and he said, Thy gentleness hath made me great. And when I think about that song, I think about the earthly influence that my dad had upon me. And uh, I didn't, I really took for granted when I was growing up, and even when I was a young man recently right with the Lord, I really didn't understand the powerful influence that my earthly father had on my Christianity just through his gentleness. And uh, he was a man's man, and uh, there was nothing soft or wimpy about him, but he was had a gentle spirit, and he certainly was gentle uh, with me and my sisters. Uh, I mean, unless we crossed the line. He was the kind of guy that if you crossed, uh, you could really push him, and the line was way out there. But boy, if you ever crossed that, bad things would happen. But uh, I really appreciate my dad and the influence that he had upon me, and so much to be thankful for. Um, this came to me uh, and my wife in the mail the other day, and uh, it came, I believe, from Amazon, and it was unmarked. It, we knew that we hadn't ordered anything like it, and so, you know, I listened for ticking, didn't hear any ticking, and shook it, and it, you know, it seemed a little bit too light to be anything too dangerous, and uh, somebody gave us this very nice picture of Rudyard Kipling's poem, entitled If, and uh, this is one of my favorite poems. As you know, I'm not a huge poetry, I mean, as far as just the poetry of this world. I enjoy Christian poet poetry. I certainly enjoy uh, Miss Dot's poetry, but as far as being cultured and enjoying literature, poetry, and so forth, it just never has been my deal. As far as that goes, abstract art. I don't get that either. But this is certainly not one of those types of poems. And let me say this, whoever sent this, if um, your name wasn't on this, so if this came from someone here in the church, then uh, it came to us anonymously. And uh, my wife and I would love to know who you are so that we could thank you properly. But uh, I want to just take a minute here since it is Father's Day, and this came just a few days ago in the mail and read this poem to you because it is just a fabulous, fabulous poem for sons. Kipling says, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth spoken, you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you, except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, You'll be a man, my son. What a great poem. And once again, whoever sent that to us, uh, we want to thank you very much. Very, very nice done. Um, 
nice done picture of that poem. If you would take your Bibles, go to the book of John, chapter number 8. John, chapter number 8. It's no secret that as a preacher, I um, and I've said this many, many times, uh, I don't particularly like special days, especially so many special days that we have on the calendar that it is expected of the pastor to bring a message that's relevant to that special day. Uh, As I've already said, not that I don't appreciate Father's Day or Mother's Day or Easter or Christmas or Memorial Day or Thanksgiving, I appreciate all of those days, but you know, if you were to look at the calendar out of 52 weeks in the year, uh, you could really easily justify that 10 or 12 of those, the pastor is expected to preach a message that's related to that particular special day. And uh, for one thing, as a pastor, you you realize that, how do I, pre- you know, I've already preached that. You, you think about something to say about Father's Day. Wait a minute, I said that last year. Or two years ago. And so you're having to come up with something fresh. But uh, more than that, if you take away all of those special days as a pastor, you're not necessarily viewing or focusing on meeting the spiritual needs of the flock, but rather on just doing what's expected of you from your culture and preaching that special event. So I was really frustrated this uh, past week, or actually two weeks ago, as I saw this day coming, and it's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, I, I don't want to disappoint people. And um, and so I want to say this, if you were expecting a Father's Day message today, well, you're not going to be disappointed, because I have one. But I said all that to say this, the blessing of it is I really feel like that this is a message that the Lord directed me as I started praying and saying, God, what do you want me to preach on here? It's Father's Day. And so this is not your typical nostalgic Father's Day message, but it certainly is extremely relevant to Father's Day. Let's take our Bibles now and look at John chapter number 8, and we'll begin reading in verse number 31. Now, this is Jesus. He's having a little bit of argument with the Jews. And, of course, the Pharisees are always making false accusations and trying to catch Jesus in his words and trap him and debate him. And in verse 31, it says, "As excuse me, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. That would be the basic fundamental of discipleship. If you want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, then it is imperative that we continue in his word. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you need to be a follower of this book, the Bible, meaning how you live and how you think and what your principles and philosophies of life are, your behavior, your apparel, your entertainment, your uh, your child raising and all of those things, a disciple of Jesus Christ finds all of the answers to life right here in the Word of God. In verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye may be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know, that's a very kind way of saying that sin will enslave you. Now, I understand that not every sinner, there are degrees of sinners. There's some really, really super wicked people out there, and then there's some people that are good moral people that just you know, accidentally sin every now and then, and everything in between. But the bottom line, sin is addictive. People have different addictions. People have different levels of what satisfies. But listen, if your heart is toward the world rather than toward God, then you will think, well, this it's no big deal. But Jesus said that if you commit sin then in some subtle way or some overt way, it's going to bring you into bondage. And then he goes on to say in verse number 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Thank God that Jesus came to free us from the bondage of sin. 
I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. The Lord's getting ready to get just a little bit sarcastic, a little bit blunt with these Pharisees. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye, watch this, do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Notice the, the, the word it. Jesus didn't say him because personally I believe that Jesus is making a connection between the lie and the liar. And that's why the Lord worded it the way that he did. Verse number 45, and because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, paternity test for the soul. Let's ask the Lord's blessings upon the message today. Our Heavenly Father, it is good to be in church today. Lord, we've enjoyed the singing. We've enjoyed the presence of each and every one that's gathered here today. Thank you for our visitors. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our life. And Father, as we bring forth the word of God this morning, we ask for the presence of God, the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask for power. We ask for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. If there be anyone here today that is not saved, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would touch their heart and show them their need and draw them to a saving knowledge of you. We pray, Father, that you would encourage your people and get glory and honor from all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the United States today, one of every four children grow up in a home without a father. One out of every four. It's estimated that one out of every ten children in the United States today don't even know who their father is. Ten percent. Now that's estimated because it's really hard to run those statistics because it doesn't necessarily show up in a, um, in a census. Paternity testing technology began in the early 1900s using blood types. The test was only able to rule out about 30 or 40 percent of the population. So it might work or it might not work. In the 1960s, a new method was used which compared genetic fingerprints of white blood cells. This increased the accuracy rate to around 80%. Today, as I'm sure that you're well aware, DNA testing is used and it's very fast and it's very accurate and it has a success rate uh, according to statistics of 99.9%. Now, statistics show that 90% of all of these paternity tests that take place today are because of a woman that was suspected of adultery. And 10% of all paternity tests are due to a man who is suspected of fathering a child outside of his marriage or relationship. Uncertain or unknown paternity, if you're not familiar with the term paternity, it's talking about who your father is. And um, of course, we all know the slang term today, who's your daddy? And um, you know, that's a, that's a, a 
depending on who's using it, that can be a very horrible thing or something that's not quite so horrible. But the paternity test is the result of sin. If it wasn't for sinful behavior, the need of a paternity test would not even exist. But as we think about this concept of a paternity test for our soul, then I'd have to say that the same thing is true of the paternity test for our soul. It wouldn't be necessary if it was not for sin entering into this world. Number one, I want to talk about the soul's paternity. Is there such a thing? Well, just briefly, I want to just show you a couple of verses in the Bible that make it clear that the soul does indeed have a paternity. And it's a different paternity than our, than our physical self. I've already talked about my earthly father. That is my physical paternity. But our soul's paternity is very, very different than our biological paternity. In Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 26, the Lord said, let us make man in our image. Notice he said, let us make man in our image. God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when God made us in his image, he made us triune beings, a trichotomy, if you will. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. The Bible says in the Genesis creation account, that God took the dust of the earth and he formed man's body and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of light. That is man's spirit that came from God. And then it says when God's spirit entered into a body made of elements of this earth, then that man became a living soul. You read, uh, you can read in Luke chapter number three, which traces the genealogy of God the Son, or the Son of Man, as Luke's Gospel points it. And he traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And it says in Luke 3.38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Adam was referred to as the Son of God. Why? Because God made him. God was his direct father. And then, of course, in John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, verse number 12, the apostle John is talking about Cain, Adam, who was the Son of God. He fell from that image. He kept the likeness in which God created him, but he lost the image of God when he ate of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His soul, his spiritual being inside of him died when sin entered into that, into his life. You can read about that in Romans chapter number five. He lost that image and they began to have children and they had Cain and they had Abel. And of course, Cain ended up murdering his brother Abel. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees about the devil? He said he was a liar and a murderer. And John says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And so certainly there is a paternity of our soul. Now, common liberal theology portrays this concept of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. That we are all children of God. Listen, we are all here. God is the creator of us all. We are uh, we are the offspring of God. But the Bible never says that a person that has not been redeemed could be called a child of God without something happening that fixed what Adam lost. There is a paternity for the soul. Second, I want to talk about family resemblances. Now, I enjoy visiting people. 
Uh, I've always enjoyed going to the hospital when uh, someone in the church has a, a baby and seeing that baby. And of course, I, I've seen, uh, I've met people who had children. And have you ever seen someone's child that looks so much like their father and bears no resemblance to their mother? I've had times when I, when I observed that, I always joke. I said, well, maybe we need to do a maternity test. If you think that through, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, I remember as a, I was a teen, early teen, junior high age, and uh, we went to Sun Valley, Idaho for a Christian camp. And this was when uh, my family, my dad was a Southern Baptist preacher, and all of the churches in southwestern Idaho would all gather together for this big youth camp. And the director of that camp, was a pastor in the Boise area. I had never met him. I'd heard his name before. He had never met me. He'd never been at our church. And I'm walking by the cafeteria, and I see him. And he stops, and he says, excuse me. He said, are you Dale Mitchell's son? I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And he said, I recognize you. You look like your dad. Now, when I was younger, I looked more like my dad then my mom. As I got older, I began to look more like my mom than my dad. Those things just happen. I mean, as time goes on, we change, don't we? Some of you are smiling, and I think I probably know why, but we'll move on from that one. I feel like if I comment on that, I might get myself in big trouble. Now, Jesus made it clear in the text that we opened with that the characteristics of one spiritual paternity will show in the child's conduct and character. Let's read it once again in verse number 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in, in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus, in this particular passage, identifies the devil's children as, number one, people, children that are full of lust. Uh, that's something it says that ye do the lusts of your father. You know, when you think about lust, there's all kinds of lusts out there in this world. Of course, there is sexual lust, wanting something that is not sanctioned or approved by our Creator, by our Heavenly Father. Uh, there are lusts to have things, to have power, to have glory, to have money, and all of those things. And listen, you can get what you want in this world, and you can throw your ethics out the door, and you can do whatever it takes to get what you want. And when you think about it, is that not the nature of Satan himself? God created Lucifer, and he created him a beautiful creature. And aside from God Almighty, no one had more glory and admiration than the devil himself. But it wasn't enough for him. And he wanted more. He wanted something that God, that it was not lawful or that would violate the holiness of God for him to have. And that's the entire nature of lust, folks doesn't matter what type of lust it is. When we approach this world and we see something that we want it, we want the pleasure of it, we want the feeling of it, we want whatever comes with that sin, and we decide, I'm going to get what I want rather than obey the rules, so to speak. That's lust, and that comes from the devil. The Lord here says that the children of the devil, that, that Satan was a murderer, now, of course, Jesus, he defines murder as more than just killing someone or plotting to kill someone. Jesus said that if you hate your brother without a cause, then you're a murderer in your heart. And, you know, when it's all said and done, when the devil's children behave like the devil, it's because the devil has a hold of their heart. Whatever has a hold of your heart is going to give you the direction of your life. In fact, Solomon said, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
What you allow into your heart is going to determine the direction of your life. It's going to affect your character. We read here that Jesus identified the children of the devil as people that are rejectors of truth. You know, we have a whole generation, and, and I'm talking about saved and lost alike. You take the characteristic, the nature of 2021 America, you just don't find very many people, saved or lost, that really have a passion for truth. I mean, people will get passionate about all kinds of things. They'll get passionate about worship. They'll get passionate about outreach. They'll get passionate about being kind and being good or being politically correct or all of these different things. People get passionate about so many things, but what is missing in modern culture today is a passion for truth. You know, Jesus talked, Jesus made it clear that if you have a desire for truth, it's not necessarily going to make you popular. Have you noticed, I mean, how many pastors, how many preachers are out there that you just don't see that passion for the truth? You go back a couple generations and, you know, some of those great men of God, they didn't care whether you liked them or disliked them. They were going to tell you the truth. And they didn't make, they made no apology about it. They didn't beat around the bush. They would point their finger and say, thus saith the Lord, and they would call sin, sin, and they'd call God's holiness, God's holiness. And listen, we have a whole generation of America in which Christianity and religion has been influenced more by the philosophies of this world than by the Word of God itself. And with that rejection, or let's just say People aren't necessarily rejecting the truth, but they're just not valuing it like they ought to. You know what is the end result of that? The devil's children become liars. You know, you got people, people today that can't even look in the mirror and be honest with themselves. Do you know we become what we value? And I know it, when you look at this world, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of evils in this world, but evil will always prevail when truth is downplayed and lying, excuse me, when both truth and lying are downplayed. You know, there was a day and age where if a leader of our country told a blatant lie, they had no chance of getting elected again. Uh, how many of you remember, read my lips, no new taxes? Y you know what we got out of that? We got eight years of Slick Willie. And all of the drama and all of the perversion. I mean, you talk about some things by the leader of our nation that became commonplace when the Word of God says we shouldn't even talk about those things in secret. And now it's all over the news. All because of somebody told a lie and they didn't get away with it when the election took place. Now we look at it, lying isn't even, nobody even really cares whether a leader tells a lie or not. As long as they share my agenda. We're in a messed up culture, folks, and the reason is, is because our culture has a real deficiency in the right kind of spiritual paternity. There's just not a whole lot of real, true children of God in our nation today. Hey, listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2 has to say. Where Paul says, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, watch it folks, in the children of disobedience. Children of disobedience. That's the devil's children. 
and His Spirit is working in their spirit, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Do you notice how the Apostle Paul is making such a contrast between the children of God and the children of the devil in the way that we conduct ourselves and our character and our morality or lack thereof? There's a phrase in the Word of God, I'm sure that most of you that have read the Bible or listened to preaching have seen this, and that is the phrase, children of Belial. Belial. Who in the world is Belial? Well, Belial is not necessarily a person. Belial in the Scripture is personified wickedness. Belial just simply means wicked. And when you see it, children, a son of or daughter of Belial with a capital B, it's really, in fact, Jewish history proves out that the term Belial is synonymous with Satan himself. And so when you find, when you find that phrase, son, daughter, or children of Belial, what it's talking about is it's saying they're the spawn of Satan. They're of the devil, just like Cain was. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 13, it says, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Now, this is a hypothetical statement that God is telling His people through Moses. That, hey, if the children of Belial show up and they start telling you and try to draw you away from God and toward other gods, and then he goes on to say how they ought to handle them. And you can read it in Deuteronomy 13. I will say this. God says, don't give them even a bit of space. Pretty serious business. But I tell you what we can draw a conclusion from, and that is the devil's children are influencers. You ever noticed how people who are involved in sinful behavior just have a real hard time keeping their sin to themselves? I mean, they want you to participate in their sin. You ever noticed how that somebody that drinks just can't stand it if somebody isn't participating in their drinking? You ever noticed how whatever's going on, something that somebody's doing, they want to influence you and drag you down with them. That's the way that the devil's children act. I also read in the Bible that the devil's children are sexually perverse. They're violent. They have no regard for human life. In the book of Judges, chapter 19 and verse number 22... We have a wayfaring, we have a Levite who is passing through a town of Benjamin. And he stops in and he, there's no place for him to stay. So a man of the, ta- the city invites him into his home. And we pick up in Judges 19.22. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door. And spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. Now, this wasn't the welcome wagon, folks. This wasn't hospitality. Oh, we want to get to know this stranger because we're just nice people. That's not what's going on here. These men want to know this man, just like in the genealogies, it says that Adam knew his wife, and she brought forth a son. Biblical knowing, that's what's going on right here. And as you can tell, I'm trying to be discreet because of the different age groups that we have in the congregation. They were perverse. And then they went on, and you know, this man, the old man says, I've got a daughter. And then uh, the, the man who was staying there, he had a concubine with him. 
And he, I, I don't understand all of this other than the fact that during the times of the judges, you had some crazy, wicked things going on. Every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. You didn't have a prophet or a preacher. You certainly didn't have a godly leader. Most of the time, God would raise up a judge. But in between those judges, you had all kinds of confusion that was going on. So this man turned his concubine loose to these perverts, put her out the door... Of course, maybe he was being somewhat facetious because the reason he was on this journey to begin with is he was fetching his concubine because she went and played the whore. Maybe he thought, well, that's what you want. Help yourself. But these Benjamites were violent and corrupt, and I'll not say anything more about that, but you can read it for yourself in Judges 19, and it was a horrible, horrible thing. These children of Belial, and you know what? We're not seeing as much, we're seeing a little more than before, and we're going to see more and more and more of it as perversion has become sanctioned in America. You're going to see the connection between the sexual pervert and violence and disregard for human life. You're going to see it just continually. It's already been in the heart. But now they can get away with it. I cannot believe how much, uh, how many children in America are affected by sons of Belial. Things that happen that ought not happen. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And I guarantee you, I mean, it, it just amazes me as my life goes on finding out how many people have had things happen to them as children, and they bear that. And it affects them, and it's a horrible thing. And and I just look at it, and I just go, what is going on? How could people even be that disgusting? Well, it's children of Belial, according to the Scripture. You know, I read in the Bible here that Hannah when she was heartbroken because she had no children, she finally goes into the temple and she begins to pray. And as she's pouring out her heart, uh, the Bible says that she's talking. She's not making noise. She's just moving her mouth. And Eli shows up, the the priest, who doesn't have any discernment, and he, he accuses her of being drunk. Why? Because her mouth's moving, but no no words are coming out. So he, he's accusing her of drunkenness. But I tell you what Hannah, this godly woman, recognized in 1 Samuel 1, verse number 16. This is her response to Eli's accusation. She says, Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. Now that's some convicting words right there, that a godly woman recognizes that drunkenness is associated with the devil's children. She says, don't count me as one of them. I'm not drunk. I've just got a broken heart. And I could say many, many things, but one more example, and that is this. Satan's children have a foul, stubborn selfish spirit. We read about a man named Nabal, Abigail's wife, in 1 Samuel 25, verse 17. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do. This is Abigail speaking to David, trying to save Nabal's life. And she said, evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. I mean, this guy's a royal jerk. He gets angry at everything. Now listen, I'm not going to be up here and be self-righteous and act all pious and say that you're looking at a Christian that's never been a jerk. I can't say that because my wife's here. I wouldn't be able to get away with it. My kids are here. They've seen me act churlish like a jerk. I've had my moments. 
I've had times when something provoked my spirit or something was frustrating or I was down and then just the right circumstances come along. But you know what? There are men that that's the way that they live their life. Their children and their wife and the people that they work with are just, they're always tiptoeing around and walking around afraid that they're going to end up on the, the wrong side of their wrath. That's not the way that the children of God act. That's the way that the children of the devil act. Certainly a spiritual paternity test. And you know, I'm not taking the time here this morning, but if you read Hebrews chapter number 12, the Bible says that if you're a child of God, then God's going to chasten you. Listen, if you can live... Contrary to the Word of God, if you can reject the light that God has given you and you just breeze through life and it just seems like everything's fine, then I've got news for you according to the book of Hebrews. You're not a child of God because God loves His children and is not going to allow His children to ruin their lives in sin. He's going to do everything He can to, to chide, to rebuke, to warn, to love, to draw, and yes, to chasten. And if you don't know what chasten means, it means God will take you behind His woodshed. Every child of God knows what the chastening hand of our loving Heavenly Father is like. Now, I've never at the time enjoyed God's chastening, but every time, with no exception, When I've got through God's chastening, it has been such a cleansing effect, such a relief to know that God loved me enough that He wouldn't allow me to continue down that path of misery and wickedness. Because sin always takes you further than you intended to go. And I won't trouble you this morning and try to sing that song about sin taking you further. I think we all know that it's true. And so my last point here this morning is I want to talk about the unbroken circle. Will a circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? What do I mean by this unbroken circle? Well, Matthew 23 and verse number 15, Jesus once again speaking to the Pharisees, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more, watch this, the child of hell than yourself. Jesus said, you're of your father the devil, and then he talks about the location where they are eventually going to go, and he calls them children of hell. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 6, Paul says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Hey, what do we mean by the unbroken circle? It's really quite simple. Every single one of us will spend eternity with our Father. If you want to spend eternity with God, then He must first be your Father. And how can somebody say, well, I'm a child of God, when everything about their life, they act like a child of the devil? That doesn't make sense at all. Listen, if you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you, if you had a, a child that just bore no resemblance to you, you'd probably be wondering, especially if you were suspicious of your wife's faithfulness, and then a child comes in that bears no resemblance to you, but bears some resemblance to the one that you are suspicious and jealous of, hey, what, what are you going to do? You're going to maybe suggest a paternity test, right? Oh, but we look at this paternity of our soul and we think, well, it's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. If we can't seem to do anything in our life and our character, then act like the devil. We need to look in the mirror and say, maybe I am a child of the devil. Maybe I need a paternity test for my soul. Maybe I need something 
happen to me so that I can say that God is my Father and know it in my heart of hearts. And that brings me to the conclusion. And this is the good news. I want to talk in conclusion about the opportunity of a new birth. In 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. You can fit in with the world, but keep in mind that the world is full of the devil's children. And when we get born again, then we become the children of God. He becomes our father. And guess what? We don't fit in in this world's family. We become different. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Listen, we know that this wicked world is not where we belong. And to every child of God, if you've truly been saved and born again, then you got, you have a desire in your heart to see God and get, get taken away from this world. Listen, the, the American dream says there's the world. Go out and get it. But listen, the vision Not the dream, but the vision of God's people is let's leave this wicked world behind and let's go to a place that's righteous and holy where our Father is. Family allegiance. Family love. Listen, the child of God wants to be with His Father. Now I recognize that there are times, even earthly, that we rebel against our parents' authority. We all go through times like that. And certainly, as a child of God, I've had my moments when I rebelled against my Heavenly Father. But still, down deep, if you pin me down, even though I like some things in the world, if listen, by the time I hit 20, I knew I had to make a choice. And praise the Lord, I chose my Heavenly Father rather than this wicked world. Never regretted that decision. What manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know, there's a a term that we use, and it's found in the Bible, and it's the term regeneration. Now, if you think about that word, and you break it down, it's re-gene. We know what genes are. We get That's our DNA and genetics. We get those from our parents. Re-gene. Oration. That means that when we get saved and born again, we are, our genes, our spiritual paternity is changed back to what it was when God created Adam. What a blessing to be born again and to be a child of God. Not by works of righteousness, Titus 3 5, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Take your Bibles now and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. I know so often the Bible-believing Christian... And, and there's all kinds of labels, fundamentalists. I know that sometimes independent Baptists, if, you know, other Baptists refer to independent Baptists as, well, they're just, they're, they're the same as us. They're just more strict. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure that many of you have had friends or talked to people and that's what they distinguish the difference as. You know what? I don't care what we're labeled. I don't care. Independent Baptist, fundamentalist, Bible believer. I care nothing about the label. What I care about is the substance. You can label anything, whatever you want, but what really matters is the substance. And I don't know about you, but I want the substance of my life to be real, true Christianity according to the Bible 
not according to our culture. And so sometimes we, um, we get accused of being legalistic, judgmental, pharisaical because we have convictions. And you can call them whatever you want, rules, standards, whatever. But convictions, there are some things that I am convinced from the Bible that affect the way that I live. Every aspect of my life. Entertainment choices, places that I go, clothes that I wear, words that come out of my mouth, people that I hang out with and allow fellowship with and so forth. All of those things, the child of God should be living the way that our Heavenly Father wants us to live. And so let's read it now in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14 where the Word of God says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God... As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You know, I don't need to comment on those three verses. Everything that I just read is so self-explanatory that you can get that if you want to get it. But notice what it means to us by way of application. Verse number 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, the book of Ephesians talks about the child of God being accepted in the beloved. That's a positional acceptance. When you and I get saved, positionally speaking, We're accepted in the Beloved. That's the highest level of exception that anyone can give. And listen, believe it, every single one of us, down in the depths of our soul, what we want more than anything is we want acceptance. Now, sometimes we don't understand that, and we've all seen children that 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 act out, misbehave, because what they're wanting is acceptance, and they settle... For attention. Attention, if you listen, if you are settling for the substitute of attention, you can never get enough to satisfy it. Why? Because it's not what you're really craving. But listen, when we understand and believe that God accepts us in the beloved, why? Because of Jesus Christ and not our performance, then now we can rest and, and we can be secure. And God's love for us. But the passage that we just read, the relationship between the child of God and our Heavenly Father, separate from the world, that has to do with closeness and fellowship. And God says, there are some conditions for me to receive you. Yes, there is conditional acceptance, just not in our position with God but rather in our closeness with God. How many people, I wonder, have wanted to be close to their father, their earthly father, only to be rejected? It's a hurt that cuts to the soul. In the same way, how many people say, well, I want to be close to God, but we don't want to let God change anything about the way that we live. Is that not the modern contemporary Christian movement today? Come as you are and everything's okay. God says, come as you are, but I want to change you to be more like my son, Jesus Christ. 
Wherefore, once again, verse 17, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And watch this, will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. As I close here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, it is so obvious that God's children are different than the devil's children. And by the way, the world's children are his. Not God's, but the devil's. And the parent-child closeness and relationship is conditional upon how we live our life. Have you come out from among them and been separate? Have you said, God, I want to be different because you're my father And I want to be your child. I want to be an honorable representation of my heavenly family. You know, nobody wants their family to be shamed. Nobody wants their name to be a byword in their community. People worry about their reputation. Look, if you're truly a child of God, then we ought to start living our life that everything that we do we understand as a reflection of our Heavenly Father. What a different world this would be if everybody that professed to be God's child truly acted like God's child. A spiritual paternity test. I hope that you've taken it here this morning, and if you're not saved, I hope that you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and get regenerated, get born again before it's eternally too late. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you, Lord, for the truth of the Word of God. Lord, we've done the best that we know to present this truth here this morning, to speak the truth in love, to speak with the boldness of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would just use this message, Lord, in a congregation this size, or perhaps maybe even among our live stream listeners, Lord, I just find it difficult to believe that there's not someone that this message was directly for. I pray for that soul, that you would speak to their heart, that they would acknowledge and confess that they are not children of God, and that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in repentance of their sin. Turn their heart away from this world and toward Jesus Christ. Lord, as your children... I pray, Father, that we would be represent, uh, we would represent you the way that we ought to, that people would see God in our lives. They'd see that we're not the same as the world, but we're different. It's supposed to be that way. Lord, so many of believers today, they want to, they want their ticket to heaven, but they want acceptance from this world. God, please show that person that that can never work. And Lord, I want to thank you for loving me. And I want to thank you for drawing me back into a right relationship with you, even when I had wandered so far away for so long. Lord, you certainly are a good God. Lord, as the psalmist said, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Thank you, Lord, for looking down upon us in pity and in love and in mercy. Have your will and way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's remain seated with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'd like to open up the invitation here this morning. If God's spoken to your heart and you'd like to respond, why don't you just slip out of your seat? Every head's bowed. No one's looking. Live stream's over. It's just us as a church family, but if God spoke to your heart today and you have a need, I want to encourage you to just slip out of your seat and come down forward, kneel at an old-fashioned altar and talk to God about it. If you're not saved, you can get saved before you leave this place. If you recognize that you've only been pretending to be a child of God, but you know in your heart of hearts that you resemble more 
one of these children of Belial than you do a child of God. Why don't you swallow your pride and get it right today? You won't regret it. There is nothing more precious and more blessed than to lay your head on the pillow at night and to be able to say in your heart, Good night, Lord. To be able to talk to your Heavenly Father knowing that He is indeed your Heavenly Father. Nothing more precious than to go through this world knowing that the Creator of the universe is right there with us and will never leave us or forsake us.